The Power Zone Sports Podcast is brought to you by Titan Home Lending, TicketSmarter.com, and our Florida realtor, Drew Felios. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is to beat the man, you gotta beat the man. The two one swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. He is safe. Green runs in This is the Powers on Sports podcast. Welcome in, Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason, down in sunny Tampa. Hope everybody had a nice holiday, whether it was Christmas or celebrating Hanukkah uh, and the other holiday celebrations that are ongoing. So, again, hope everybody had a nice Christmas day. Plenty of football on Christmas Day. You had a triple header. You had five NBA, you know, four or five NBA games on on Christmas Day, so a plethora of sports content to absorb. Um, New Year's Eve is coming up on Sunday night. Um, there will be games in the NFL on Saturday and Sunday. So again, hopefully everybody will uh, be safe on New Year's Eve as we approach 2024. Hard to believe that we are already uh, into 2024 here in just a matter of days. But uh, lots of good stuff going on this week. We're gonna we're gonna really focus the podcast on the college football playoff semifinals, which are all on Monday. You got the Rose Bowl Monday at 5 Eastern, Alabama, Michigan. And then you got the Sugar Bowl to follow about 8.30 or so on Monday night with Texas, Washington. We've got a uh, great lineup of guests for you this week to highlight those. We're going to talk to the voice of the Crimson Tide, Chris Stewart, who will be on the call in the Rose Bowl for the game. To get a little Alabama perspective. We're going to talk to Eric Henry, who covers the Longhorns for Horns 247 daily. He's going to give you a little a little input on the Texas Longhorns. And we got our former our coaching analyst, former head coach, USF Bulls, all-time winningest coach, longtime assistant all over the country in college football, but again, tremendous head coach down here at USF, Jim Levitt. He is going to give a uh, wide-ranging preview of both games. We're going to talk about some issues in college football, the transfer portal, the Michigan cheating scandal. Coach has a uh, relationship with Jim Harbaugh, so we'll get some thoughts on the Harbaugh situation at Michigan and such. So Coach Coach Levitt will have a you'll, – you'll really enjoy his analysis on uh, the college football playoff and some of the issues in college football today. So those are our three uh, guests for the, for the podcast. Again – before we get to the guests, I'm going to give you a couple of random thoughts here. Through We are now through 16 weeks of the National Football League season. We are The playoff picture is starting to come into, into clarity a little bit. The huge game over the weekend, obviously we had uh, the Christmas night uh, showdown in San Francisco between the Ravens and the 49ers. The Ravens get it done 33-19. Uh, four turnovers for Brock Purdy, just kind of a game of self-destruction for the 49ers. Ravens played well, but again, I think a lot of it had to do with a little bit of self-destruction by the Niners, but give the Ravens credit, that offense and the defense were creating four turnovers, um, and 
Lamar Jackson just doing what he does. Again, uh, 33-19. Again, first game ever with Brock Purdy with four turnovers. Just not able to uh, – just a lot of – some bad luck and a couple of bad throws by Purdy. But, again, give uh, Baltimore credit. The offense was really good. They capitalized on the mistakes. And they, uh, they really uh, beat – the 49ers convincingly in San Francisco on Monday night. So Ravens are the one seed in the AFC as of now. They have another showdown this week with the Dolphins. They got the Ravens and Dolphins in Baltimore. If Baltimore wins, they will secure the one seed. If uh, Miami loses and Buffalo wins, Buffalo will have a chance to win the AFC East next Sunday in Miami. So critical game, obviously, if Buffalo's got to take care of business this week against New England. But if Buffalo wins, Miami loses next Sunday in Miami will be for the AFC East because Buffalo won the first game and they could sweep the series. Buffalo could get all the way to the number two seed if a couple of things happen. If they run the table, uh, I think they can be the two seed now that Kansas City lost on Christmas to the Raiders, puts them at nine and six. Both teams are 9-6. Remember, Kansas City lost to Buffalo a couple of weeks back. So Buffalo from a couple of weeks ago were 10th or 11th in the AFC. Could all could rise all the way to the two seed if things go right in the AFC here in the next couple of weeks. So a monstrous, uh, from a seeding perspective, a monstrous uh, couple of weeks in the AFC. Obviously, you have the, the problems in Kansas City. They just continue to have offensive problems. They just look out of sync. Lose to the Raiders at home, 20-14. to 14. Don't, don't give up an offensive touchdown and lose. The Raiders don't complete a pass after the first quarter, and the Chiefs lose. Uh, you know, you had Mahomes with two de- gave up. They, the Chiefs gave up two defensive touchdowns in seven seconds to the Raiders. Back-to-back offensive plays turned into defensive touchdowns for the Raiders. Uh, give Antonio Pierce and that crew credit. Now four and three under Pierce. I would have a hard time believing that he's not going to get the head coaching job in uh, Las Vegas. Antonio Pierce, as long as they don't crater here these last couple of weeks of the regular season. So, uh, be interesting to see what uh, Mark Davis does there with the coaching search. Uh, but but Antonio Pierce is definitely uh, giving himself a high opportunity to get that job full-time. They seem to like him. Uh, they're not a perfect team, but they're playing very hard for him. And then winning in Kansas City is a nice feat. So NFC-wise, you got the 49ers and the Eagles are now tied in the loss column. But obviously the uh, 49ers have the head-to-head, so they still, they've got to win the last two games. You got Washington and the Rams. The Rams game could be a tough game there at the end because the Rams may have to win that game to get in. Uh, and then you got the Eagles who continue just to labor along. They get they get through the Giants yesterday, but it was not pretty. Uh, they win 33-25. So they, they, they remain the number two seed and most likely are going to be the two seed. Dallas loses in Miami last week, so they're most likely going to be the five seed. And let me give you a couple of teams rising, teams to be aware of as we get to the playoffs here. I'm going to start here in the in, in, we're at my part of the world, Tampa Bay, run one four in a row. Baker Mayfield with all kind of confidence. They thump the Jaguars over the weekend. They beat the uh, Green Bay Packers soundly. They're now eight and seven, have won four in a row. Todd Bowles has gotten that offense together. The defense is coming together. They're getting healthy on defense. And Tampa Bay could be a dangerous team come playoff time where they're most likely going to host the Dallas Cowboys. If the Bucs win Sunday against New Orleans, they win the division, and then they'll have an opportunity to rest some guys in Week 18. Um, so, again, they can win the division outright on Sunday in Tampa as the Saints come to town. 
Um, but again, team to be aware of, Tampa Bay. Remember, they can still make the playoffs even if they don't win the, the NFC South because they've got head-to-head tiebreakers over Minnesota and excuse me, potentially Green Bay. Um, you also have the Rams and Seahawks to contend with in that 6-7 and seven seed. So the, the final two spots in the NFC will be very interesting, uh, just like the AFC. Another team to be aware of is the Rams. They are surging here. Obviously Stafford, Nakua, Cup. The defense is playing over their head. McVay's doing a great job coaching them. Raheem Morris, a former Buck coach down here, now the D.C. with the Rams. That is a team to be very wary of. They go to the Giants this week, which will be a tricky game. And then they finish the year against the 49ers, which is that's going to be a game that the 49ers are going to need to win. So you're going to get a full effort out of them now that they lost to Baltimore. So, But the Rams are a tricky team as a team nobody wants to face. You have a potential matchup with the Rams in Detroit in round one of the playoffs. How interesting would that be with Goff, McVay, Stafford used to play for the for the Rams. I'm excuse me for the Lions uh, with the big trade with Stafford and Goff, McVay. That would be a very dynamic, uh, juicy storyline game there if it's if it's Rams Detroit. And speaking of Detroit, congrats to the Lions. First time in 30 years they've won the NFC North, former NFC Central. So uh, breaking some history there. Good job by Dan Campbell. Nice win in Minnesota over the weekend. And, if, and by the way, if you haven't seen it already and you have Amazon Prime, check out the Barry Sanders documentary, Bye Bye Barry. Very good hour and a half story about Barry Sanders, his career, his run in Detroit, you know, about him personally. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, if you're a football fan, again, they, they show all the, all the great highlights. It's, it's a good hour, hour and a half, uh, documentary on Barry Sanders and his the plight with the Lions back in the 90s and and what caused his early retirement and all that stuff so good watch there if you if you're a uh, football fan on Amazon Prime so uh, and again Buffalo in the AFC is the team on the rise that's the most dangerous team I know they labored against the Chargers but they got two more games they got New England and then Miami potentially they could be they could go as high as the two seed uh, in the AFC, potentially there, if they can win the next two and get a little uh, and get a little help with Miami losing one. So, again, Josh Allen, that running game, the defense is coming together. That's a team: Bucks, Rams, Buffalo, three dangerous teams to be very aware of as we as we get to the postseason because. All three teams are teams I think can at least win one game. I think Buffalo could go to the Super Bowl, but I think the Rams and the Bucks could easily win their wild card game and give the next opponent in the divisional round a tussle there in the divisional round, depending on how it works out seeding-wise. So three teams for you. A couple other things I want to hit on, then we'll get to our college football analysis and guests. How about the NBA and the NFL going up against each other on Christmas Day? Christmas used to be a NBA-only day where it was an all-NBA day, kind of the first huge national television day for the NBA. You know, most years you'd have three or four or five games on. You had three, four, five games on yesterday on ESPN networks. And uh, now the NFL is going head-to-head with a triple header on Christmas. They used to maybe have one game, but now they've got a triple header. You had Kansas City, you had the Giants and Eagles, and then you had the Niners and the Ravens. The NFL is in, in the I don't care business. We're going to go up against, we're the big bad bullies on the block from a TV perspective. 
Um, you're seeing that. They don't have any regard for the NBA when it comes to TV ratings, and I'm sure the NFL dominated the NBA in ratings. I know you had some marquee NBA matchups. You had Giannis in Madison Square Garden yesterday. You had the, the Lakers and the Celtics out in Los Angeles. You had the Warriors. You had the Nuggets. Uh, you had the Sixers and the Heat. Um, but still, the NFL is still king this time of year, man. And the NFL has shown you they don't care. They're they're going to go up against they're going to go up against the NBA from a ratings perspective and don't care. Uh, last nugget I want to hit on a couple of coaching blunders over the weekend. Mike McCarthy, what are we doing handing the ball off to a fullback at the one yard line? Run the ball with your tailback or your 240-pound quarterback who's used to handling the ball. We're trying to run fullback dives, mishandling. To me, that was the turning point of that game. The first drive of the game, the Cowboys had the ball for seven and a half, eight minutes. Went down to the field on the one-yard line and freaking cough it up. They end up taking the lead late, but then Miami drives down and Jason Sanders kicks his fifth field goal of the day. The game winner at the gun as the Dolphins win 22-20. Uh, Another tough road loss for the Cowboys. And, again, the stigma of can't win that big game on the road continues for Dallas. And, it's again, it sets up the Miami-Baltimore showdown this week in Baltimore. Uh, it be very interesting to see what the, what the number in that. I bet it will be Baltimore probably a six-point favorite at home with Lamar. I think the Dolphins can keep it close, though there are reports that Waddle, Jalen Waddle has a high ankle sprain, which could keep him out. That will be an interesting uh, nugget there. But again, Tyreek Hill, Mostert, and those guys, and Tua, I think they'll be able to. I think they can keep up with the scoring because remember they went to Baltimore last year and won. Uh, and again, you got Baltimore with the new offense and Lamar and that defense. A very interesting game in Baltimore, depending on what the weather's like. If the weather's decent, I think Miami's got a chance here to win that game. So, all right, last thing, fantasy football wise, I was in my fantasy semifinals yesterday. And I was in a dominating position. Unbelievable the how I lose the game. I had about an 85% chance to win the game yesterday. I had about I had Purdy going. I had Goddard going. I had Debo Samuel going. I had Butker going. And I had the defense going against George Kittle and Jalen Hurts. I was up 13 points going into that into yesterday with all those guys going. But six Six interceptions and a fumble later out of Purdy and Trevor Lawrence. Six interceptions and a fumble out of those two guys. One touchdown between them. One passing touchdown between them. Debo Samuels, a modest day, 40 or 50 yards receiving. Goddard, a decent day with about 70 yards receiving. And my guy Harrison Butker misses a 35-yard field goal against the Raiders at home. I lose by two points. Unfreaking believable. If if Butker makes the 35-yard field goal, I win. If by the way, both my quarterbacks get knocked out of the game in the fourth quarter and don't even finish the game. If Lawrence throws another touchdown, garbage touchdown against the Bucks, which they scored, but it wasn't thrown by him, it was thrown by CJ Beathard, I win. If Brock Purdy throws one touchdown in the game, I win. If he doesn't throw four picks, if he throws one pick instead of four picks, I win. Unfreaking believable in a game that was over. Semifinal was over. Was going to the fantasy football playoff final. I get stunned by the Vipers with a Monday night miracle of Jalen Hurts and then George Kittle, who goes for about 130 yards last night as well. So a terrible, terrible way to lose in fantasy football. Butker missed field goal. 
Uh, Purdy and Lawrence was seven turnovers between them, one touchdown only between them. Unfreaking believable. So that's the end of my fantasy football season. The NFL, two weeks to go, playoffs coming together. But next up, a full breakdown of the college football playoff semifinal games. Texas, Washington opened up by Alabama, Michigan in the Rose Bowl, and Chris Stewart, Crimson Tide Sports Network, Eric Henry, Horns 247, and our coach Jim Levitt breaks it down for you in depth, great analysis, matchups, everything you need to know about both games. So enjoy those guys. Appreciate you finding us. If you haven't already done so, subscribe, rate, and review. Find us on X at JPO Sports. You can find the video interviews with with Coach Levitt, Chris Stewart, and Eric Henry on my YouTube channel, Jason Power Sports Channel. And again, subscribe, rate, and review to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Appreciate you finding us. Have a safe and prosperous new year. Don't be out drink dr- drunk driving. And we'll even give you a couple picks for the weekend. I like Tampa Bay minus three against New Orleans. I like Alabama plus the two against Michigan. And I like Texas minus the four against Washington in the playoff games on Monday. Enjoy the our chats. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Powers on Sports Podcast when 2024 hits. Now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market for a new home? Are you looking to get into a, a single-family residence, condo, townhouse, duplex, whatever it is? If you need financing help to get pre-approved, which you need to do, reach out to Titan Home Lending and Jason Powers. We'll get you approved in less than 24 hours. We'll get you qualified, figure out what you can afford, and we will get you in a position to be able to make that offer. So reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending. We can help you with an FHA loan, a VA loan if you're a veteran, a conventional loan, a bank statement loan. We can help you with a investment property, a second home. Whatever their financing needs are, reach out to me, Titan Home Lending and Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. All right, welcome in Powers on Sports Podcast. We are less than seven days away from the college football playoff semifinal games. We got the Rose Bowl. We have Alabama, Michigan. Then we go to the Sugar Bowl and Texas and Washington go at it. And we are going to break it down from all different angles. We're going to have a, a former head coach with us, which is going to be Coach Jim Levitt here in a second. We're going to go to the Alabama Crimson Tide Sports Network, talk to Chris Stewart. From the uh, who will be on the play-by-play call for the Crimson Tide, and we'll be getting uh, talking to Eric Henry, who's the beat reporter for the Texas Longhorns. But but first, the coach, former head coach, all-time winningest coach in University of South Florida history. He is a uh, long veteran of the coaching world, both as a coordinator, head coach, everything in between. He was a heck of a player back in the day. Uh, <laughs> Here in the, here in the Tampa Bay area at Dixie Hollins High School over in St. Petersburg, went on to play at Missouri. Former head coach USF Bulls Jim Levitt. Happy Happy Holidays, Happy New Year coming up, Coach. How are you? I'm good. Merry Christmas. You know, it's what a special time of the year. You know, it really is. It's um, you know, I've had a great time with my girls. You know, Christmas and everything, and uh, you know, it's been really special. There's no question. That's one nice thing about not coaching at the time I get to spend with my girls. You know, I never had this kind of luxury, you know, and uh, usually in bowl games or prepping for bowl games, uh, you know, so it's it's been nice. 
That's even better, too. When now, now, were you always – did you ever like the cold weather, or is it beautiful? You love this 75 degrees and sunny this time of year, or are you somebody who likes a little cold weather this time of year? Well, I do. I like cold weather. You know, the, when I was in Colorado, Colorado is very different. It's like winter wonderland. You know, the snow comes down. It's just beautiful. You don't have as much wind and ice as you do, like when I was in Iowa or Kansas. Uh, it's so, so I was spoiled in Colorado. It was really nice. The girls and I always got out and made, you know, a snowman and, you know, did all that. And, and, uh, you know, the, you know, laying in the snow and doing those angels and all that stuff, you know? So, um, you know, I miss that, yeah. you know, so when I get, to, when we get the cold weather here, you know, I enjoy it. I really like it. For I don't sure. think we'll get snow, but cold weather's nice. There you go. All right, before we get to the game, I want to ask you a couple of just general college football questions. We've had signing day in the last few days. Uh, obviously, signing day has now been complicated with the transfer portal and all that stuff. Do you think, from a transfer portal perspective, do you think the NCAA should allow guys to be in the portal when there's still playoff games going on, bowl games? Because we've seen these rosters get wrecked and decimated. You know, great examples at Texas, the backup quarterback at Texas – entered the transfer portal before their playoff game. And now that puts a little disarray into, into the backup quarterback situation at Texas. How do you think the NCAA has handled this transfer portal situation being allowed to do it at the first of December? Well, I think, it, I think it's all a mess, you know, quite honestly, I think it's an absolute mess. And I think all the coaches would agree that there's got to be some type of guidelines and, you know, but nobody knows, nobody knows, you know, it's all un charted territory and everybody's kind of grasping at things that they don't really have any idea about and they don't know how it's going to play out. And um, that's the problem, you know, and, and, and your governing body, the NCA, they did it just, they've tried to do everything to hang on, you know, because I, I'm kind of surprised the NCA is still in existence to be honest with you, right? you know, because these, these, these conferences are getting so powerful with the television money um, that I would think they'd, they'd want to bring out, bring in their own governing body, you know, uh, at the different levels, because there's some things that are going to apply to uh, Austin Pay that's not going to apply to Alabama, you know, and right. with this, I mean, it's just a different deal. And, you know, until people start getting their teeth in all of it and start putting together some guidelines, uh, it's going to continue to be a mess. But to be honest with you, I don't know how, you know, the cap is already off. I don't know how you're going to bring it back to, right. uh, you know, it's, it's basically NFL football, you know, yeah, and, uh, you know, kind of like the minor leagues, the major league baseball, yeah. you know, it's like triple a and, you know, people are going to chase the money. You sit there and you say, well, how can you tell a player not to go out and transfer portal when first of all, the bowl games are all different times. You got to have some time to figure out where you're going to go. The recruiting timeline is very tight to get into school uh, and some guys are transferring and getting into school before the bowl game and are able probably to play in a bowl game. Right. They're the from one school to the other. Team. Right. Right. I mean, it to me is the craziest thing. But if you are coaching, which I'm not, but if you are coaching in the profession, you're there, you better embrace it and you better try to figure out the best you can. Because none of the coaches, I don't think any coach thinks it's great or loves it, but it's the way it is. So you better, you better not, you better, you better roll with it and do the best you can 
because you know there's so many we could talk the whole time today on just the transfer portal and how it has completely hurt so many high school players right and hurt so many junior college players it's just because people are going to go after those transfer portal people when i was at southern methodist maybe we say we had 25 scholarships 15 were transfer portal and then maybe nine high school kids maybe one jc kid right you know think about it where before it was maybe four or five jc kids and maybe 20 high school players now you multiply that throughout the entire country you know because who wouldn't want to take a player that's already gone through you know the discipline and the and the uh you know getting acquainted with nutrition yeah getting acclimated right instead of a high school player Unless that high school player is like a five-star or four-star guy. But what right. about the two-star guy that really is a five-star guy, but nobody even knows it? Right. It's just, it's just, it's hard. So you get me going, obviously. <laughs> All right. What'd you think of um, the, the committee? And I think I know where you're at from a coaching perspective. What'd you think of the committee's decision to leave out Florida State? You know, you have the argument they won all their games 13-0. and 0. They did all the things they needed to do. But then you also have the other argument. They don't have their starting quarterback, the main trigger man, the guy that kind of was the leader of why they were 13-0. Your thoughts on Florida State being left out? I think it's, you know, BS. You know, I was going to say the other. (laughs) But um, I think it's ridiculous. Florida State deserves to be in. They won all their games. You're not going to tell me what I can't do with with our football team and get them ready to play. What if somebody would have told me before we went out and played Florida State with Bobby Bowden's team, that just beat BYU 50-something to 14. Uh, they're naturally ranked uh, pretty high. And Matt Grothy, who is a great quarterback, great quarterback, tears his knee up the week before Florida State, and I've got to go with a true freshman who had never played a snap, B.J. Daniels. Wow. What if they would have told me we couldn't have played that game because of our quarterback situation? But, no, we went up there and beat him 17-7, to and it's one of the greatest stories of all time. This could have been a great story for Florida State. It could have been a great story for the rest of those players, how they would rally around their team, how they would rally around each other and be a team and not be focused on one particular player. It was all about money. It was all about TV. And that's the truth. I mean, if you really look at the whole picture, why did Texas get in? Texas beat Alabama when South Florida almost beat Alabama. Alabama wasn't the same team then right? as they are now. So why does it always have to be the Alabama or Florida State? You know why? Because people have an easier time, you know, uh, debating that one because Alabama beat the number one team in the country, Georgia, and won the SEC. Why wouldn't they say uh, between Florida State and Texas? Uh, Texas got beat by OU, who got beat by Oklahoma State. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's all ridiculous. To me, you take the three undefeated teams and then you debate between your Alabama and Texas. And you and, and that's a debate. No that question. Yeah. But you've got three undefeated teams that won their conferences. They should be in. End of story. Uh, the committee was just, it was all about the SEC, all about the money, because now the SEC basically has two teams in the Final Four. They've got Texas, which is, yes, Big 12, but they're going in the SEC. And you got Alabama. There you go. So, I mean, it's so obvious. It's unbelievable. You know, you just... You know, it's yes. crazy. But in our world, with what happens, and you started, you could even get me into politics now with the whole thing with, 
I don't even want to go there. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's uh I think it's wrong. I got you. I mean, what do you tell those players as a head I, coach? I know I figured that was gonna be your answer as a as a coach. Obviously, if you win, you know, the goal. Let me ask you this. Do you think you should be guaranteed? No, I don't. Do you think you should be guaranteed a spot if you win all your games? Because you know you can make the argument a team like Liberty, the Boise States of the world back in the day. Should you be guaranteed a spot in a playoff situation if just because you win all your games? No, uh, not with Liberty because their schedule. I mean, everybody in the country, there's no debate on that. Okay. You know, but if you're in the ACC, if you're in the Big Ten, if you're in the Pac-12, which had eight nationally ranked teams at the beginning of the year, including Colorado. The strongest Pac-12 uh, has been. I mean, if you just want to put the four best teams out there, why isn't Georgia in there? Right. Georgia loses one game, and it's to Alabama in a very, very close game. So why wouldn't you put Georgia in? You know, I think Ohio State still has an argument. You know, what about them? I mean, it's always going to be a debate. But you're you're talking to a guy that grew up in a that played college ball in the '70s, and I love the old system where everybody you know just named a national champion, and everybody complained about it. They said they had to go to playoffs because <laughs> it wasn't a true national champion. What's the difference now? What if Florida State beat Georgia? Right. And they're undefeated, and they beat a team that was number one throughout the year. You tell me that there can't be a split vote. Right. And Florida State be a number one team in the country. Now, what's unfair to Florida State is now the fact that they're playing Georgia, but they're not going to have all their players. Right. Because the number of their uh, shoot their top defensive ends going in the getting, getting ready for the draft. You don't blame them because of the money involved. For sure. For so this sure. is not going to be the same Florida State team without, uh, you know, four or five or six guys because their defense could carry them. Their right. defense was that good. You saw them beat a very good Louisville team. And you saw them go down to the swamp when the Gators had to win that game. You know, he's sitting there with his job on the line. You know, when they won for the fact they probably paid over 30, they had to buy out about 30 something million dollars <laughs> and giving them two years. But, you know, that's, that's a real discussion on that one because Florida now is kind of getting left behind. Right. You know, but that's another topic. So. All right, last off the field topic. Then we'll get into the games a little bit. Obviously, we all know the the you know the, all the all the story about the Michigan scouting scandal and all that stuff that's that's kind of percolated throughout the year. And I, and I, this question is not Michigan related. This this is a question for you as a coach. When you knew somebody you were coaching against was doing stuff illegal, whether it's illegal, nefarious, whatever word you want to use, did you as a coach ever confront a coach? that said, hey, I know you're cheating or I know you're doing stuff that you're not supposed to be doing. How did you as a coach with your fellow colleagues in the profession, how did you ever handle something where you knew somebody you were competing against, whether it was the same conference or a friend of yours or whatever, you knew a guy was doing something they shouldn't be doing from the from the coaching world. How did you ever, how did you handle that? Well, first of all, you better make sure about being a glass house. You better make sure that you're not doing some things that when you start raising some issues, that there's not stuff going on in, in your own backyard that right. you might not have been aware of. Uh, you know, the, the, I think it's, it's garbage what they're calling out uh, Harbaugh and Michigan with. I think everybody does what they're doing. I think that's a bunch of baloney. I mean, I, I'll promise you I saw that stuff going on all the time. 
you know, that's that's up to you to, to you know, the signals and high. I mean, when I was at Kansas State, we used to film the other team year after year in the Big Eight, back in the Big Eight, and we filmed their signal guy so that in the summer we could study it because we're going to play the same people year after year after year. And after a while, we end up getting their signals. You know, I, I know for a fact some of the top head coaches in America, and if I told you their names, blow you away, that have done unbelievable things in, in scouting and things like that. That's not – now, where I got upset was recruiting. You know, like if a head coach came and uh, was not supposed to be on the road and I'm battling my tail off to get a recruit and he goes into a home where he's not even supposed to be on the road, then, yeah, I, I had no problem calling somebody out. I, I didn't ever worry about the fraternity. I right. never worry about all those kind of things. If you do something like that wrong, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you out on it, and I'm gonna first go right to you to get it stopped right now. Then I'd go to your AD, and then I'd go to the NC if I had to. Um, and that did happen a couple times, but I got it cleared up right away when I called I called the coach, and uh, you know because we had this when I was in South Florida, we were always top twenty five recruiting classes. We were. We were up there. We were bringing in some really good players, but we worked extremely hard to do it. And I know everybody works, but, you know, there's so much cheating going on right now. Of course, it's so different now when you can just pay players, you know. You, you know, it's just like with Oregon getting some of the players here. You know, they get out there. Eugene, Oregon is rains eight months out of the year. <laughs> um, it's not the most incredible city out there. I lived there two years. The people are awesome. They got great people as far as supporting Oregon football. Sure. That part. My point is this. Phil Knight's worth probably $42 billion. <laughs> You don't think this NIL and transfer portal and all this stuff, I mean, the quarterback from Oklahoma goes to Oregon. I think he got out of there because he was going to go to Mississippi State with uh, Levy, you know, yeah, because that would be OC. And then all of a sudden his transfer portal and all of a sudden – Ching Ching, he's probably sitting there thinking, man, I can get paid as much as I one of these top quarterbacks in the NFL right now. <laughs> and why that's important is because if you get hurt your senior year as a quarterback, you might have those insurance with London, right. uh, those, those insurance. And I did it with our players in South Florida because we had we had we had first round picks, we had second round picks. Sure. And you know, you're trying to protect yourself. Well, here, if you can make a million dollars now, well, why not take it? I would. Right. No, it's, you know, crazy. So. it's crazy. The war chest, some of these schools, the Texas, the Oregon's of the world, the Alabama's. Of yeah, the you world. can all cheat now. So, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, you know, it's so, it's so different. It's probably good that I'm not in it. I, you know, I, I struggle. I, I miss coaching. There's no doubt because I love teaching and I love doing things that people don't think you can do. Right. Uh, that was always because you look at my resume, it's all about taking programs that nobody thought could win and, and win, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's even in the NFL, you know, with the 49ers and what we did there and, you know, Kansas state and certainly South Florida didn't have a football, uh, <laughs> they didn't have a football program. They didn't have a football football. No, <laughs> you you're know? right. No, you're right. Stuff. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. All no, right. Let's get, let's get down the field anyway. stuff. Yeah, let's get on the field. Let's let's talk. I want to talk the Texas Washington game first in the Sugar Bowl. A kid I know you probably know, and you probably maybe recruited to some degree. 
Michael Penix, local Tampa kid, uh, you know, has had a great career. How does a kid like Penix get out of the state of Florida when he's coming out of high school? How does he get to Indiana, not to a Florida, Florida State, Miami, even a even a USF type of school? How does that happen? Well, these guys, the, the quarterbacks for the most, um, you know, most important position. And these schools in Florida are not just going to Florida. They're going all over the nation. And they get weighed and swayed by five stars and four stars and all that. So I can easily see why. And, and it's not like Indiana's a bad school. Right. And Indiana's in a Big Ten. And Indiana had, you know, their coach that they had that just got let go. Um, you know, coach to play in high school for a while. Is, right. Uh, had done a great job in Indiana. And, I, and you know, quarterback could sit there and think, well, hey, I can go to Indiana. And you can kind of recruit him saying, man, you can come in and play right away. Or right. earlier than some other places like Florida, Florida State of Miami. So that doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know, I don't know what happened in Indiana because I don't really know his whole story, but what he's done, and I've watched him a bunch this year at a Washington, has been, he's been done a tremendous job. He's been a tremendous leader, and the team certainly uh, seems to rally around him. Uh, and I, I like Washington quite a bit. Ronnie McKeefrey, who was my strength coach for nine years at South Florida, is the strength coach at Washington right now. Nice. So it's kind of it's kind of fun to see them in it, and let me tell you, most people did not think that Washington was going to beat uh, Oregon for the second time because right. Oregon was on a roll; they were bearing everybody. They were. I mean, good teams, and for Washington to rise up and beat them a second time is impressive because Oregon could argue about being one of the top four teams. You know, they have yeah. an argument. Uh, if Washington's undefeated, that's the only team to beat them. You know. Because nobody knows how good Washington is. How do how do how do these coaches handle the three and a half weeks off? I mean, obviously they, they got done playing the first week of December. They've had a couple of weeks for kids to get done with final exams and all that. Now you have about a you know 14, 16 day period before the you know exams are over until the game. How do you how do you as the coach schedule that couple of weeks? Do you do you do you handle the contact part of things earlier in the two weeks? Or do you save the maybe some padded practices later? How do you handle that as a coach? Well, you give them the first week off right after your last game to heal their bodies, to get rehab. Uh, you you make sure your strength coach is going right away. You want them still in the weight room. Uh, some guys need to stay out of the weight room, stay out of everything for a number of days, though. Other guys don't. You, you know, you're really working with your young guys, too, that are not playing that much. Right. Letting them do some scrimmaging and letting them really, you know, you really work with those guys the most that week. Plus, you're right in the middle of recruiting. You, the first, that's why you give them a week off, get your coaches out, because you're you're mm -hmm. under a, you're under the gun uh, with this early signing day because most people at the, the top programs are signing most of their guys in that early signing period, uh, which had been done, you know, it's year-round, recruiting year-round. So, uh, but you got to put a lot of closure on that. And then when you're coming back, uh, no, I wouldn't put them in full pads right away. I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know if I'd have them in full pads at all till the game. I think I probably would a couple of two, two days, three days, just to kind of, you know, get back on edge. Uh, yeah, so I probably would do that, but I would most times shoulder pads and helmets. You don't want to lose your best player for you know, these games. Plus, you know, you're playing on two games, not just one. Right. Uh, so you got to look at that because all these teams are going to look to win a national championship. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, you're, you're 
you know, do you do any scrimmaging? Um, a little bit to keep everybody up, you know. Uh, you know, you want to try to do some things to get good against good, uh, just to stay on edge. But those guys at this point should be pretty smart about how to handle all that. And they're not going to take anybody to the ground. Not going to do anything stupid. Right. Um, but right when you come back, you want your strength coach to really do a lot of conditioning uh, after a week. You know, do, uh, do a bunch of running. Right. Uh, right. Try to really get that going. And then get into all your teamwork. Most of it's going to be teamwork. You're still going to do some individual work. Um, you'll probably cut those down to about 10 minutes periods with the individual work. But you, you mostly want to spend a good amount of time on your your team stuff and kicking. Special teams, yep. Yeah, you got to really do an enormous amount of work on the special teams. Yeah, I mean, because to me, when you get that time off, that the fundamentals are the part that kind of wane a little bit. The footwork, just the basic tackling kind of stuff are the things that kind of wane when you take two or three weeks off and you don't, you know, there's not much contact. Um, talk about... Plus, plus your coaches, they've got to break down all the film. You're going you're gonna to have your analysts and your GAs do most of that work. Yep. Because the coaches are recruiting and they're and they're recruiting so hard. But you're breaking down every game. But you're only going to want to use the games that probably apply to you the best. Like what defense and offense is similar to what you're doing. Right. And really analyze those games and then the most recent games. But then you got to have your GAs and your analysts start working on the other two teams that are playing because you're you're not going to get as much time right. there for the national championship game. And you got to be ready for that. So you know, there's a lot of work being done right now, and there's not much time. As a coordinator, play caller, defensive, you know, guru, and even offensive guys, how much during this two or three weeks is it the tendencies to want to come up with new stuff in the lab, new defensive, new play calls, as opposed to really perfecting the things you guys are good at? What? How is that balance of of trying to come up with new stuff that maybe they haven't seen, as opposed to really getting dialed into the things that you're really good at? Absolutely need to need to have some new things. And on defense, you need to have a pressure package that they have not seen. Uh, you've got to put it in. You've got to work on that. you got to get on that right away because you haven't had any games to really be able to use it. But you're a fool if you don't put in some pressure that they have not seen, that not, they, they have not worked on. Offensively, same thing. I think you're out of your mind if you don't have some different wrinkles different gadgets, different formations, places. Yeah, formational things, personnel groupings. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, you, uh, especially when you see some teams like how did Oklahoma beat uh, Texas, you know, looking right. at that film. What are some things that kept Texas off balance? Uh, same thing with Michigan, you know, uh, the Ohio State games, uh, you know, a big one. Uh, yeah. They'll look at that one pretty hard. Oregon. Uh, they'll look at Washington against Oregon a bunch because Oregon had all that time to play them twice. So they obviously scouted Washington really well. Uh, so, you know, really look at that, that film uh, really hard. And Alabama, you got to go back and watch the Auburn game. You got to look at that really hard because Hugh Freeze did a great job right. uh, in that game, uh, you know, with them. And then you're certainly going to watch Georgia. You know, uh, those games would be huge for me. I, I would throw out the South Florida the early games because, uh, you know, their quarterback wasn't in a groove yet. Uh, you know, he was later on. Uh, Alabama getting – I mean, getting ready for Alabama is not as many films. But I mean, 
you're looking at more of the second half of the season. And and with and with Michigan, a team I know you know a little bit with Coach known Coach Harbaugh, the power running game, the different blocking schemes, that offensive line, the physicality. Um, to me, that's that's going to be a very interesting thing in these both these games. You got the physicality of Michigan and Texas. And, and Alabama's physical too, but then you have a little more of the finesse with Washington. Washington likes to throw it all around the yard. They got three pro receivers. They can run the ball too, but really Texas has really shown their physicality has been a big difference for them this year as opposed to years past. Yeah, but, I, you know, how do they compare with the Pac-12 and Washington? Washington uses those tight ends as well. Um, so, you know, I don't know. And, and um, you know, it's interesting. They've all been on a – somewhat of a big stage. Alabama has been a lot on a big stage. Uh, Michigan certainly has, but I don't know if Michigan's schedule, people are going to look at the schedule compared to right. Alabama's schedule. Right. And that's going to be the big question mark. Uh, I think this is a different Michigan team that's going into this thing than they've had in the past. I think they're, you know, their entire offensive line, most all those guys are back. And I think that's, that's set, that has set a pretty good foundation for them. They, you know, they've gone through a lot of adversity with, uh, with Coach Harbaugh not being on the field for all those games, uh, and they had a rally together. They had, a, um, which is, which is really interesting dynamic. I mean, most people out there are probably going to give Alabama the edge on this game. Um, I think it'll be a great game. I, I probably think Alabama and Washington will probably be the two that'll play in the finals, uh, just like a number of years ago when Chris Peterson was head coach of Washington. And Washington got in the Final Four. That was in 2016, I think. Yeah, yeah. Jake, Jake Browning, the kid that's playing for the Bengals now, was the quarterback. I was I was at D.C. At, at Colorado that year, and we won 10 that year. We should have gone to the Rose Bowl, but the same thing happened to us. It happened to uh, Florida State. We won. Uh, we were the team. Washington beat us in the uh, Pac-12 championship game, which means that if Washington goes to the Final Four, we should go to the Rose Bowl. They didn't take us to the Rose Bowl. They took USC to the Rose Bowl because they thought USC was going to draw more televisions wow. and was going to be more with the money. That was completely ridiculous. Now, I ended up going to Oregon, uh, so I didn't coach in their bowl game. They played in the Alamo Bowl. But, um, you know, but I, it'll be interesting to see uh, who ends up getting to the – I mean, they're all good teams, obviously. They all can play, you know. How do you think, Mich how do you think Michigan will handle – and they probably haven't seen this in the Big Ten this year, a mobile quarterback like Milrow, a kid that can really run as opposed to more of drop-back passers that you're seeing in the in the Big Ten. The Big Ten didn't – the Michigan didn't really play a guy that could really hurt them with his with his legs like Milrow can. Yeah, I mean, he's so big and strong as well. You know, you're how, not do you practice, how do you practice against that when you know you have a very mobile quarterback? When you maybe don't have somebody on your roster that can that can emulate what he does. Oh, you, you, what I would do is I'd put a receiver at quarterback, or uh, somebody that is as close to his stature that can run, and I'd probably use two quarterbacks on the scout team, you know, and uh, we'd work very hard at him because that is a key to their offense. You got you're going to have some you're going to have a spy and maybe two. Yep. Um, I thought the way George, I think they did that with a couple spies, was pretty good. Um, you know, especially if you could take one of the spies and when there's an opening, let him go and let him attack to give you that fourth man rushing. And then, um, 
and then have the other spy just see how when, when they flush them. Also, you've got to have some. You do got to do a great job with your your front four. Your your outside rushers cannot just run by the quarterback. They've got to they've got to bully the tackle and they've got to push the pocket. Um, and then you've got all kinds of things you can do. Um, you know, with flushing the quarterback out and having somebody run a certain way and flush them a certain way on purpose, right? Uh, so that you can have the next, you have another guy run him down. Because Michael Vick was at the Eagles when I was with the 49ers. You don't think we had to have a lot of different things that we had to do, right. you know, to, you know, and I had Pat Willis, I was coaching Pat Willis, and Pat ran a 4-2-9 in the combine. <laughs> and Pat Willis during the game, we ended up beating him uh, out there. Uh, but we had Pat Willis as our spy, and we flushed him on purpose to Pat Willis' side. I'll never forget I'm on the sidelines and Pat and Vic outran Willis. He ran him <laughs> off the sidelines and Willis runs right up to me and smiling, going, God, coach, you're right. He can run. <laughs> <laughs> now, now this guy don't run like Vic. Right. He can run and he's stronger. You know, so you know, you you you're gonna have to spend a lot of time on your, your rush lanes and exactly how you're gonna attack him that's that's going to be a obviously a big key to the game uh and then you're going to have to hold up man to man on the perimeter you know with the with the receivers yeah because he's going to go deep you, you you would try to try to force him to throw and beat you with intermediate routes right try to make sure you you take the top off of all the deep routes and don't let him run and, and those yep. are the, those would be my two big things that i would work extremely hard at if he's going to beat us he's got to beat us with inter intermediate routes Right. And uh and their run game. And in the other game, you got Penix who likes to scramble but not to run, but to throw. They like to throw a lot of deep routes, a lot of long over routes, corner routes, post patterns. If you're Texas, they've been a little vulnerable in the secondary. Texas has. How do you again the same deal? You have to you want to try to contain Penix because again, he's gonna scramble to throw the ball down the field. He's got three NFL wide receivers. Those receivers, especially the one. Adunze, Rome Adunze. Unbelievable. Yes. Big, strong, gets the ball. I mean, boy, I don't know how I would, you know, you got to disrupt those receivers. You know, I try to press them as much as I, I could yeah. and get my hands all over them, but you better have somebody over the top and you better, you better be able to uh, double cover, you know, one or two of them. Right at the right time, and you can with with different calls and different things you do. Because to me, those receivers are are that gonna hurt can hurt you can hurt you. Yeah. yeah. All right, coach. So give me a prediction. Sounds like you like Washington and and maybe Alabama lean. What do you think? Yeah, I think so, and I think the right word is lean because you know I think they'll be really close games. I I, I would be surprised. You know, I think Washington, Texas will probably be really high scoring. I don't see it as much with the Alabama Michigan game right. as being as high scoring because you got two really good defenses. Um it's gonna be really interesting to see Michigan's defense against Alabama's offense because Michigan's got you know the best defense in the country statistically. Uh and just to slow Alabama down. I, I think that I don't think that'll be a high scoring game, but uh and but also the last thing, I know we're going to go here in a bit, but 
especially teams are going to be that yes. big of a deal. Yes. And the coaches and the coaches know it too. And somebody's going to win or lose probably because something on special teams. You know, um, man, you you got to really work your return game. Uh, you're going to have to you know work on going after a you know blocking a punt. And making your Locked kicks, making the makeable field goals. That's key too, man. Make the no makeable doubt. field goals. Because both games could come down to that. No doubt, no doubt. Well, Coach Levitt, great, great analysis. I know I'd ask you a bunch of different things, but you were all, all over it like usual. Thanks for the yeah. time. Happy New Year. I know you'll be sitting there watching these games as closely as all everybody else will. I know you know a lot of people around the country in the, involved in these games, so – Congratulations to your people that you've worked with that are in these games, your strength guys at Washington. So I know oh. you're proud of him and uh, all the different people you know all in, in all these different programs. So, Coach, appreciate it. We'll be in touch. Have a happy new year with the girls, and uh, we'll talk soon, okay? All right. Thank you. Same to you. All right. Bye. If you have any buying or selling real estate needs in the Tampa Bay area or anywhere in Central Florida, reach out to Drew Felios, 813-382-9934. Drew can help you on the buying side or the selling side for any real estate, commercial, or residential property. Drew is my guy anywhere here in the state of Florida, especially in Central Florida and the Tampa Bay area. Reach out to Drew Felios, 813-382-9934 for all of your real estate buying and selling needs. All right, welcome back. Powers on Sports Podcast. Now it is time to look at the Alabama side of things for the Rose Bowl matchup here coming up on New Year's Day out in lovely Pasadena. And no better person to talk to than the guy that will be on the play-by-play call for the Rose Bowl for the Crimson Tide Sports Network, our buddy Chris Stewart, who's uh, gracious enough to join us uh, post-Christmas, getting ready for his broadcast on New Year's Day. Welcome in, Mr. Stewart. Man, it's always good to talk to you. I appreciate the invitation. And I got to tell you, I still get – I've heard it several times, but getting goosebumps hearing that I'm on the call for the Rose Bowl. I've uh, I've never been to Pasadena and excited about – being out there here soon and, and getting a chance to take all of that in and, and uh, broadcast what I hope is another Alabama win out there. Uh, that's my first question. I mean, I, obviously you and I have grown up watching the Rose Bowl game on sure. TV every New Year's Day. Just talk about the pageantry of this game and the stadium overlooking the San Gabriel yeah. Mountains and all the pageantry of the Rose Bowl parade and all that good stuff. Just talk about what an honor it is to be able to be in that, just in that environment for a few days. Oh. Yeah, it's amazing. You know what? I've been a part of the, as you know, Jason, a long time, more than 20 years. I've been a part of the Alabama broadcast in different roles. But unfortunately, um, 2009, so I guess the 2010 Rose Bowl, um, our championship game, we didn't, my part of the crew didn't travel. It was Tyler Watts and I, and we did the pregame and postgame. And that was the season when, I think the economy tanked and, and a yeah. lot of the, the travel that we had done in previous years, we no longer did. So that went, uh, that meant that we did the pregame from home and I, I'll never forget how, um, how funny it was because we, we did the pregame from Baumhauer's in Birmingham because Tyler and I both live there and Bob Baumhauer, of course, and mm-hmm. great and, Bama guy has restaurants in Alabama, and and uh, we did the the pregame show from the one in Birmingham. Got a to go order, took it home, 
eight and 15 minutes before the game's even coming on the air, I'll look over it at my wife. I'm sitting in a chair and she's on the couch and, and she is, she's got a death grip on the, <laughs> the edge of the, the, the couch. I mean, she's digging into it with her nails. And I said, babe, are you okay? She goes, what do you mean? Am I okay? We're about to play for a national championship. Uh, and I was like, well, okay. She gets it. And to watch that game and, and uh, again, it was from the other end of the country, but to see it and then do post game, yeah. I was, uh, you know, I took the phone calls on the post game show back during. I'm not picking on him when I say this. He had a tough time uh, and a tough hand that he was dealt and, and did a fantastic job for a, a place that he loves. But, you know, there were some rough times during, uh, during the years with even DeBose, excuse me, certainly DeBose, but, um, with uh, Franchoni and then Mike right. Shula. Right. And having done the post-game call-in show during that era to get a chance to do the <laughs> post-game after a national championship win, man, yeah. you better believe I was staying on the air and taking every phone call that anybody wanted to make. So it was about 2.30 Central time when I finally said goodnight from my basement uh, is where we did the, where I did the show. And it was very enjoyable and, uh, hopefully, uh, getting to see it in person and be a right. part of that um, in in person and actually being on the play by play is going to have a chance to be even more meaningful. Even though it's not for the title, but it's for the chance to play for it one game later. Well, if you if you win in Pasadena, you're going to Houston for the yeah. uh, for the title game. And a lot of people think, and going back to the game a little bit, a lot of people think this is a good matchup for Alabama. Obviously the you know, the rigors of going through the SEC. We saw what Alabama right. was able to do to, con, con, you know, for a lot of that game at the SEC title game, control the game against Georgia, and we're, we're the better team for most of that game. Give me a quick sense of how did Alabama come out of the Georgia game? Obviously, they they won the game, and obviously you guys are on pins and needles whether you're going to get in or not. The next day you get in. Um, just the atmosphere around the program following that SEC title game. Yeah, excited, obviously, to get the win, and then – elated to get the word that that you're the the fourth team in right um i do feel bad for florida state um worked for michael offered the athletic director at fsu he was the general manager of the crimson tide sports network uh not at the first of my tenure but early in my tenure in tuscaloosa and i love Mm -hmm. working for michael great guy great administrator and, and understandably passionate uh about his program but you know i don't think alabama has to apologize for being one of the four that's in and just uh, i think being in the mix being able to go play for it now this group is excited and you're right mission and it's not just mission here's the for me jason and i may be wrong on this but the tradition of ohio state and michigan is the best, obviously, in that conference. At the same time, they have done the best job, I think, that they can of doing what the the really dominant Southern teams have done. And certainly Alabama's been leading the pack in that regard. But there have been others with Georgia the last two years, and, and there are several others that have had their pockets of success as well. But I think with with Ohio State and Michigan, they have replicated adding speed 
to the size that they have better than anybody else in their conference. That being said, they still haven't been able to replicate the amount of speed. I think they've got it in some spots at skill yep. positions, and I haven't fully broken it down like I will by the time we, we get in kickoff. But I, I think in general, those two programs have been able to match it at the skill positions, what we have in the SEC, the best level. They have great linemen. They have great linebackers. I don't know that they run at right. the level that SEC, the SEC's best do. And I think that's where Alabama's edge lies in this game. Don't get me wrong. It, there's not much of a margin for error. But if it's best against best, I think the speed factor is what helps Alabama in that ball game. And I think if you're Michigan, you're going to try to lean on the physicality of your offensive sure. line. I think they're going to try to, you know, yeah. that's where, the, again, the SEC, the depths on the offensive and defensive lines in the, in the SEC compared to other conferences are what separate a lot of these teams. And again, Michigan's got an elite offensive line. Uh, they've got a really good defense, but, but you're right. The speed of the secondary and the linebackers between Michigan and Alabama could be a difference here um, as part of, you know, where, where a team might get an advantage or especially when it comes to, you know, covering backs out of the backfield, tight ends, things like that, where Michigan, you know, who we'll see. That's that. But I think Michigan right. is going to lean on their physicality. They're going to try to run the ball down Alabama's throat if they can um, yeah. and, and lean on that. Talk about three and a half weeks off. Do you think this is a scenario, especially from the Alabama side, where they're going to figure out, really self-scout, figure out these are the things we do really well, we're going to try to perfect this? Or do you think there's right. going to be some scheming of, hey, let's throw in a few wrinkles here, whether it's formationally, whether it's new plays. How do you think Nick Saban has tended to do these kind of things over the years with three and a half, four weeks of time to prep? I, I think you are who you are, but you want to be the best version of who you are. And that's what this time allows him to do. That being said, uh, there will be some things they mix in, just as Michigan does. To try to to try to keep you guessing a little bit, to try to keep you off balance, but at this point, and especially with where Alabama has been progressing, this team is so much better than they were when you and I broke bread together down in in Tampa, yeah. Uh, before that USF game, They're just so much better. They they lost to a obviously a great Texas team with some miscues they'd love to have back. They played bad against South Florida, though, and we're fortunate to get out of there with a win. South Florida played really gutty football that day and gave Alabama all they wanted. Um, but I really think, Jason, the switch flipped in the final six and a half minutes of that, of that game at USF because even though the guy that – it was Ty Simpson that was at quarterback, but that team – got the ball up only seven with six and a half minutes to go and bled six minutes out of the clock before they put another touchdown on the board. And I think it was a fourth down play where either you score and you you make it a two-score game or you have to turn it over. And obviously you don't want to turn it over. So Bama was right. able to punch it in, finish the drive. Yep. And that, it, even though, it, again, it was not a well-played game, you took – you took the game away and you took hope away at the end. And I think that has been a springboard for Alabama. They followed it up with a win against Ole Miss 
when Ole Miss was early peaking and, and obviously it's turned out to be a very good team. Uh, I'm, I, I've been really impressed. And Jalen Milrow was the one that heads that up at, at quarterback. That's where things flipped. He wasn't even the guy at USF, as you know, right. never saw the Didn't field. Play. Didn't play down. Didn't play, but it was obvious after that game, he's the guy. He's who gives you the best chance to win. And Alabama, he has just improved, and Alabama's rallied behind him. Uh, it has been really enjoyable to watch that young man have the success that he's had and in, in turn lead this squad to uh, a well-earned berth in the college football playoff. And like you mentioned, late in the game in the SEC title game, Milrose's legs were key, and I think that's where his legs potentially will be a key in this game against that Michigan defense where if they can run the ball with the, with the running back, then you still have the threat of Milrow with the RPOs and all that kind of stuff, and that's going to potentially open up the play action where you then you can maybe throw it over the top where they've had some success. He's a good deep ball thrower. I think Milrose's legs – and the confidence that Tommy Reese is having in calling those kind of plays now that you don't have to protect him. This is the end of the road here for the year. He's not like you have four more games to worry about. You got two games left. I think you'll see Milrow be a big part of the running game as well, potentially. No, it, it's huge and uh, so tough as well. Um, you know, he has done it with his legs. Um he was really – and you're right, mostly it's with the deep ball is where he's best passing it. Man, he was thankfully razor sharp from 31 <laughs> yards out on fourth down and uh, down on the plains. And that was uh, that was a phenomenal throw that will go uh -huh. down in, in Alabama football lore forever, especially if this team finishes it off to win the national title. And you got a potential rematch with Texas. How how sweet would yeah. that be from a national perspective if you get a second matchup with potentially Texas? Two more questions, I'll get you out of here. Yeah. Are there any known guys that we know are not going to be in, involved in this game, whether it's injury-related, potentially transfer portal? Are there any of that stuff been for sure we know certain guys are not playing in the game because of injury? As you and I talk right here, the answer is no. And here's why. Corey Brooks is – has uh, entered the portal, I think, has said he's going to go to Louisville. And I'll be honest with you, uh, as I'm sitting here with you having this conversation, I don't know if that means he's out the door. I believe gotcha. he is. Gotcha. Uh, I believe he is. Um, he is a guy who you may recall two years ago had the catch in the four-overtime game against right. Auburn. It was at the right. end of regulation. He made a great catch. Um from Bryce Young that uh, in the moment was about as dramatic as the fourth yeah. and 31 play. It was, right. it was a drive where Bama went 98 or 99 yards yep. to force overtime and then won it in the fourth and uh, kept its hopes for a, for a national championship alive in that game where they ultimately lost to, to Georgia in the rematch after beating them in Atlanta in the SEC title game. So he's, I, th I would be surprised if he right. plays. But I again, um, Isaiah Bond and um, oh, good grief, you got to help me out. I feel terrible that I'm drawing a blank on a guy who's meant as much as he has. But uh, Jermaine Burton, yes, thank you, cheat, 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 Jermaine and, and Isaiah, uh, along with Amari Nye Black, uh, as a kind of a tight end, yep. wide receiver hybrid guy, um, Kobe Prentice, those are your top. Yep. receivers in terms of yardage and it's a it's a balanced group there's not the one guy 
Not a Julio like, yeah, Jones. There's not a Julio there's Jones. Not a, there's not Julio. There's not one of the four guys that went right. on one team that went the NFL. Like I'm, right. I'm talking to you, looking at video of Devontae Smith just over the camera here. Mark uh, Cooper, those kind of guys. Yeah, you. There's, there's not one of those, but they're all really good. Bama's one. Right. Look, when Bama beat Texas for the national championship in the Rose Bowl, yes, that wasn't a team that had. Uh, well, let me back up. That team did have Julio, but they, the team, I guess it was the year before that had um, Darius Hanks. Right. And, and also, um, God, young man from Birmingham. Sucks getting old, man. Sucks getting you, old, man. Jason. I'm with you, man. No, but uh, they're, they're, they didn't have the marquee guy. Correct. Is my point that helped put them in position. So uh, these guys, I'm not going to say they're no names because they're, they have made major contributors, but they weren't, they weren't at the start of the year, what they are now. And that's been fun. They, they've just gotten better and better and better. Last thing. All right. Tell the audience where they can find all the great uh, work you guys, guys do with the Crimson Tide Sports Network. If they're not in the Alabama area, be able to listen to local broadcasts. If they're around the country, where can they share you and your great broadcast because if you didn't see if you didn't see Chris Stewart at the uh, SEC title game, he had a fantastic call as they went to the fourth quarter. You, you can look find it up online, and that was fantastic the way he uh, set up the fourth quarter in the Alabama Crimson Tide getting to the uh, SEC title to the finish line. Tell all the great fans we appreciate your great work. Well, it's nice of you, but uh, the Varsity app makes it possible to have us wherever you are, and we've got a great list of affiliate stations. Yep. all over the southeast and the country. But but the Varsity app is the easiest way to tell an audience such as yours because yours is online, I know, as well. And so wherever you happen to be, that Varsity app, it's a free download and a free listen. You just uh, search Alabama Crimson Tide once you have it, and you can hear our broadcast. We come on the air three hours before kickoff. We're also going to do a bowl preview show with Coach Saban, very similar to uh, his weekly radio show. We'll do 90 Minutes from uh, the hotel ballroom there yeah. in uh, in yes. Los Angeles, right? So we're we're excited about getting a chance to do that two nights before uh, we'll we'll be off and ring in the new year the right way, and then hopefully start the new year in a fantastic way with a, a semifinal win and the granddaddy of them all before we hopefully we'll move on to Houston. Five o'clock Eastern time is kickoff for the Rose Bowl. The normal time you're going to see they're going to be the first of the two games. You'll have uh, Texas and Washington wrap it up in the uh, Sugar Bowl at like eight eight thirty. Are you going to go to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles? Are you going to get some Roscoe's or some uh, In and Out Burger or whatever? Man, yeah. Uh, knowing <laughs> me, I'll probably hit everything before it's all said and done. <laughs> I'll I'll see a good bit. I'm always going to make sure I find the food, man. There is no doubt, but uh, chicken and waffles sound pretty good right now. Well, Chris, have a great broadcast. We look forward to seeing you on the uh, the broadcast. You're going to be in Houston, I hope, and uh, calling another national title game. But keep up the great work, you and Tyler Watts, Crimson Tide Sports Network. Have a happy New Year as you're ringing in the New Year. Don't don't stay out too late now. New Year's Eve. Promise. Curfew. Good, good night's sleep now. That's right. That's right. That's so. right. Appreciate the time, Chris. Hope you had a great Christmas with the family and have a great new year and have a great call. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. You got it. As we roll into 2024, 
Sporting events are wrapping up in both the National Football League, college football, but we still have concerts. We have the NBA, the NHL, playoff football. You can even go to the National Championship college football game in Houston. TicketSmarter.com is your place to go to purchase your tickets on the secondary market. Again, you want to go to Houston for the uh, college football playoff championship, NFL playoff games all over the country, NBA, NHL, concerts, theater performances, whatever it is, TicketSmarter.com. Check out the Ticket Smarter mobile app or their online uh, website. You can get a, use my promo code POWERS10 to get $10 off a purchase of $100 or POWERS20 and you can get a discount of $20 off a purchase of $300. Again, anywhere you want to go all around the country, uh, sporting events, theater, performances, concerts, whatever it is, TicketSmarter.com is your place to go on the secondary market. You can use my code as many times as you want. Enjoy the playoff action as we head into 2024. All right, welcome back, Power Zone Sports Podcast. All right, you just heard the Alabama side of things as we approach the college football playoff with Chris Stewart. Now we're going to the opposite game number two in the Sugar Bowl, Texas-Washington on uh, Monday night on the 1st. Going to talk to Eric Henry, beat reporter for uh, Horns 247 in CBS Sports. He covers the Longhorns every single day, and he is joining us to preview a little texas Washington. Welcome in, Mr. Henry. Jason, long time no see, man. Happy to jump on with you. Yeah, I appreciate you joining us. Eric's a Tampa guy along with me as well. So, and he's got some, we got the connections here. Obviously, Michael Penix, quarterback from Washington, is a Tampa guy. So I know Eric knows of uh Mr. Penix and quite well. So we're gonna get into the into the match a little bit. First and foremost, give me a little uh give me a little sense of uh of uh signing day for the horns. Obviously, uh just passed a few days ago. Is Sark and the in the staff pretty excited about what they got coming in? Oh yeah, listen, it's funny, you know, as as we're recording this right now, some things are still going on in flux. You know, just check just check my phone here to see what's the latest on a couple guys. Looks like uh Aaron Hampton, a four-star, a four-star former commit or former verbal commit has just flipped to Alabama. So we'll see about that one. Of course, the big one for Texas, the five-star recruit wide receiver Ryan Wingo from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, St. Louis High School there. We'll have to see where he lands because he was a Missouri commit for a long time. Then Texas made that push and he flipped to Texas and now Nebraska. Of course, they got Dylan Rayola, the five-star recruit, number one rated quarterback in the nation. So he's making a push as well to get him uh, a little receiving target there in Nebraska. We'll see how that lands. But all in all, take those guys out of the equation. Still a lot of promise there in Austin. It really starts with Colin Simmons, 6'2", 225-pound edge player, someone who they're really looking to pair with Anthony Hill Jr., last year's prize recruit at, at linebacker, someone who's the Big 12 Defensive Freshman of the Year, just looking to really bolster that defensive line as far as having pass rushers that are SEC-ready. And I'll give you a guy to keep an eye on, but I think it's going a little bit under the radar, is Adrian Santana Wilson. If that name sounds familiar, he's the son of former Arizona Cardinal safety Adrian Wilson, who I believe is the general manager for the Cardinals, if memory serves me correct. I know he's somewhere in in the front office. Yeah, but they got him from Arizona, a standout ball hawk back there, Uh, and especially at a spot at safety that for Texas, they're going to have some guys moving on. You know, veteran Jaron Thompson is moving on. They lost Jalen Catalan. 
in the transfer portal. So going to be some spots, some opportunities for some high profile guys, some high profile recruits to really step up and make an impact. And, and if you take a look at this year's roster, Sark has not been afraid to play young guys. I think that's been the biggest thing. You know, each program, Jason talks about wanting to out recruit the previous class, right? And Texas certainly has done that. But the thing with Steve Sarkeesian, he's been adamant, like, hey, if those guys, we have a dedicated progression plan for them. And if these guys follow that progression plan. They might not open the year as the starter, but by week five, week six, week seven, similar to what we saw with Anthony Hill, they'll be playing starters reps and have an opportunity to make an impact. Year three of Sark. Talk about how has Sark fully been embraced by the Texas community as far as the, you know, we all, we know what kind of pressure there is to win, to win at that job. Talk about how, how Sark, you know, the first two years, they, they probably lost more games than they thought they would lose. Talk about how year three has really – solidified Sark's, you know, Sark's stature there with the Texas community. It, it, not even just year three, the Alabama win. That was the moment that really helped put five and seven year one behind them. And I think gave the players on this roster more than anything else, the confidence that if they buy into Sark's messaging, buy into his program. And, and a lot of it, Jason, it's going to sound cliche, but we ask the guys each week. I mean, I can even, I'll give you a story from Big 12. Media days, you know, we asked veterans like Jordan Whittington and Jade Barron and others, like what's different about this year's Texas team, the one that has the preseason expectations of being picked to win the Big 12. What's different about this team compared to previous teams? And Jay Witt and Jade said, listen, the bond that we have off the field is different. And, you know, being my first year on the beat, it's like, OK, that's kind of a cliche answer. But Jason, you saw the almost bizarre comments from the Oklahoma State off Oklahoma State sorry the Iowa State offensive lineman Jared Hufford talking about five-star talent versus five-star culture and taking the Breeze Hall quote to another level saying those guys aren't ready for what we're gonna show them at Iowa State Texas took that personal you know and we've talked with players from previous Big 12 teams who said yeah you would face Texas in the past and if you got them down and maybe you know they missed an assignment on a, on a run play they start pointing at each other and be like, what were you doing? As opposed to trying to pick each other up. That's been one of the biggest differences is to togetherness that, again, was amplified by the Alabama win. Sark has this thing called Culture Wednesdays in which he's had the entire team from himself, position coaches, players, just share things about each other's life that in his mind is like, hey, how can you really get to know that person and want to fight for that person on Saturdays if you don't know that person aside from the football field and those things jason really manifested it numerous times we hear from the wide receiver group or the db room saying we watch film at the at the facility and then we go to jody Barron's apartment or we go to jordan Wynn's apartment and we just watch film there too because we want to take it on ourselves to be the, the 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 group that kind of brings texas back to where it needs to be so that's kind of a bit of a long-winded answer but it, it's it's all those things that have really kind of made up the belief and buy-in for sark and it really culminated with that alabama one and the, and the you know the the stigma that Texas had to live with the last ten or fifteen years that they've always had good players they always get the high profile guys from all over the you know the state of Texas and got kind of guys they want to get but the physicality that they've now developed the offensive and defensive line the toughness and the and you saw that in the Alabama game they really they were the better team physically in the Alabama game they've been the better team I've seen Texas play several times the physicality that they're able to show in the trenches. 
has really been impressive to me and I think has really launched them to be able to overcome the adversity of maybe not playing as great as they want to play against a Wyoming or struggling against Rice and those kind of things. Just talk about how the physicality has really, really defined itself in this Texas team. Yeah, I'll give you two guys. It's Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. And I don't know if you've ever seen those guys, Jason, but 6'4", 362, Tavondre Sweat, a man who, when you get him away from the field, uh, a, a jokester, I mean, Tavondre can be one of the most affable, uh, you know, like quick-witted guys you come across. But when you come across him on game days, that man is a menace. And the same thing goes for Byron Murphy, who's 6'1", 305 pounds, but it's widely known as the strongest guy on the football team. They set the tone. Those are the tone setters that, hey, you're not going to run against us. It's the number one run defense in the Big 12, number three in the nation. We're going to set the tone. And that's that attitude, that that, you know, sense of swagger has really translated itself throughout the entire defense. And then to an offensive line that, as you talked about, Jason, had some ups and downs in the early part of the year, but took it on themselves to say, hey, we lost our five star running, excuse me, our, our, our 1200 yard rusher in Jonathan Brooks. And we have a running back now, a freshman, a former five star recruit in C.J. Baxter, who we got to help him out. You know, he's not the same type of running back as Jonathan Brooks, who has that veteran savvy, that experience in terms of, you know, making something out of nothing. We got to help him. We got to set the tone. And they've done an excellent job up front of spring and not only him, but underclassmen like Jaden Blue and Savion Red and, and, and others. So it, just everything starting with that interior defensive line of being the, the, the face and the tone setters of that team. Again, I just can't come back to that Iowa State game enough. When Jared Hufford made those comments, we asked Steve Sarkeesian postgame, why did you make Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy captains? And he said, I wanted those guys to go look them in the face and say, you challenge our culture. Now that's what you got to face. And everything starts with them and it trickles down through the entire roster. Let's go to the couple matchups in the game that uh, obviously are going to be critical in determining the outcome here. Obviously, from a from a defensive perspective, you're going to face Michael Penix, who you know well, left-handed quarterback, Going to be going to be a, a first-round draft pick. You got three pro receivers at Washington. Adunze is the is the main guy, but they've got three, four guys that that will be playing on Sundays. How will Texas handle that? Those matchups in the passing game, where Texas has been a little vulnerable in the secondary, potentially. How how do you think Texas is going to handle those three wide receivers and keeping my, Michael Penix under wraps? Jason, if Washington's going to win this game, it's going to come down to Romo Dunze and, and Jalen Polk and, and others being able to win their matchup. So I'll kind of bring you inside a little bit here. Here's something that if I were you know, a fan of both teams, but especially for Washington, I'd keep my eye on. The safety room for Texas is depleted. So Derek Williams Jr. and Michael Taff are going to be the main two safeties. And this year, Texas has rotated five safeties. Derek Williams Jr., Michael Taff, Jaron Thompson, um, Jalen Catalan, and Keaton Crawford. Jalen Catalan chose to enter the transfer portal, so he's no longer with the program. Derek Williams Jr. was hit with a targeting call in the Oklahoma State game, and he's going to miss the first half of the Washington game. So, you know, in some senses, you kind of look at it and say, all right, you know, it's only two quarters. You still have three of your, your safeties. But, you know, you're talking about a very potent offensive Washington that they can make two quarters. That can be 21, 28 points right there. So, how can they fare? It's going to come down to guys like Ryan Watts, who's one of the better cornerbacks in my mind in the Big 12, and a very talented true freshman in Malik Muhammad. How can those guys win, the, win their matchups? 
What we're seeing or hearing from bowl practices is Jade Barron, who's been their nickelback, a, a very talented nickelback, a guy who earned a senior bowl invite and is probably going to you know, be drafted as a nickelback. I mean, uh, again, we're Tampa guys, so I liken him to the best nickelback in the history of the position, Rondé Barber, someone yeah. who's instinctive like that. But they're looking to take him out of that position and possibly move him back to safety just because they need to compensate for the fact that they're going to be really only three deep at that position until the second half. How will that matchup look, Jason? Because Jade's value, while he can play corner, safety, nickel, his value at nickel is tremendously higher than my mind at other spots. And right. is it, it, it? do you get the most value out of him by trying to put him at safety and compensate for the loss for, for two quarters? We'll see. But that's the matchup in my mind. Texas, excuse me, Washington with Michael Penix and those receivers, really challenging those safeties that those three guys, especially without Derek Williams, those safeties have kind of been struggling in coverage over the past few weeks. And Washington's is not a they, – they'll throw some screens, but they like to throw the ball down the field. They're going to Absolutely. throw deep routes, over routes, corner routes, long pass routes, which goes back to the, the physicality of the defensive line. Can the defensive line of Texas put the pressure on Penix not to give them that three or four seconds so those routes can develop down the field? How do you think that matchup, defensive line versus the, the Washington offensive line? The, the thing about Texas, again, when I talk about Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, what's made uh, the life difficult for opposing quarterbacks is any quarterback will tell you, you don't want to get pressured up the middle. And they've had the ability to do that. And even when Devondre isn't getting to the quarterback, he's eaten up two, three offensive linemen to where it's guys like Anthony Hill, it's Baron Sorrell, it's Ethan Burke and others who are getting to the quarterback. So everything starts with them. I, I think, again, for someone who may not have watched Texas this year, don't be fooled by the fact that some of their edge guys don't have the highest of sack numbers. It's because everything starts with the inside and then a guy here, a Jet Bush or, you know, uh, um, uh, Chris Ross or Justice Finkley, you know, guys who are specified edge rushers on third downs will come in and kind of make their play. So they open up everything. And, and, and how will they be able to fear against that Washington offensive line? I, quite frankly, I think they're going to do what they've done against every offensive line this year. But again, we'll have to see how that matchup really kind of shakes out on New Year's night. An interesting part of this is Penix doesn't want to scramble to run. He wants to scramble to throw. He's not a big runner. He's not going to use his legs a ton. He wants to scramble to throw the ball down the field. And again, that's part of that 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 up the middle pressure is to get get him uncomfortable. He doesn't want people around his knees and his legs. Remember, Penix has had two knee injuries, so right. he doesn't he doesn't want to stand in there and you know and be running. He's not going to be running. He's going to run to throw that, as opposed to run to run. So all right, let's flip it over to the to the Texas offense against a vulnerable defense. I think Texas, you you you've, you've outlined. Quinn Ewers, they've got some receivers, Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell. Talk about the offensive approach of Sark versus this Washington defense. Steve Sarkeesian is going to look to jump on Washington early. That's been the approach that's worked for them. Quite frankly, I mean, even going back to after the Oklahoma loss, it, one of the things that was really kind of gave you question marks about this Texas team was three games, Kansas State, Houston, TCU. They go up in the first halves of those games by 20 points in each game. It was the fact that they couldn't close them out. Those games ended up being very narrow wins for Texas because of the fact that they allowed those teams to come back in. A part of that was offensive you know, inadequacy in the second half. A part of that was the defense getting challenged. And some teams just, especially that Texas secondary, really being challenged to defend for four quarters. Right now, the fact that they've been able to really kind of put together their best ball games against Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, where that started on the offensive side is looking to jump out on teams early. I said this 
uh, on the previous show, but especially not having Jonathan Brooks. I think in my mind, that's really for Steve Sarkeesian's hand to say, okay, we don't have a running back that's going to ease us into the game, a guy who's going to get 60, 70 yards in the first half, and then we can kind of close them out in the second half and be a second half team. No, we need to go out there, establish early leads and really jump on teams. So what that's looked at looked like, especially in the Oklahoma State game, has been Quinn Ewers getting the ball out of his hands quickly into the hands of his playmakers. Xavier Worthy, a guy with legit 4-2 speed. A.D. Mitchell, a 6'3", 205-pound wideout who is one of the better deep threats for Texas. Jordan Whittington, the reliable slot receiver. And they have a great tight end in Jatavian Sanders, a very athletic matchup, a very, you know, a big guy at 6'4", 245 pounds who, provide, who will provide mismatches for any linebacker or secondary he's going against. So I look for the game plan. Steve Sarkeesian, someone who really heavily scripts his first 20 to 25 plays, they're going to look to go out there and, and, and jump on on guys that I would say, you know, if we're taking 25 plays, I'd expect it to be two thirds past them really looking to try to yeah. jump on this Washington secondary that struggle. And Washington's rated in the 90s in pass defense nationally. Texas is in the top top 10 nationally in, in pass offense. So I think you're going to probably put the ball in Ewers' hands early uh, to see if they can cover those receivers. And again, Ewers is an experienced guy. He's been in that system a couple of years now. Talk about and a little subtle little thing to, uh, fans. Malik Murphy, the backup quarterback at Texas, no longer with the program. He's in the transfer portal. So Arch Manning is the number two. God forbid something happened to you, whereas Arch Manning would, would then elevate to the number two guy there. Talk about a couple more things. We'll get you out of here. Talk about um, Sark. Again, these national championship semifinal games, you typically see matchups, you trick plays. I would anticipate there be a trick play, a double reverse, a double pass, something like that in this kind of game, especially out of Sark, because we know the creative mind that he is offensively. Do you anticipate there being some wrinkles formationally or schematically with the offense with all this time off that they've had for about three and a half weeks or so? It's possible. I mean, I think, you know, the the biggest – trick play you've kind of seen is usually trying to get in the ball in Xavier Worthy's hands and allow him to throw. He's been able to do that a couple times this year. But in my mind, I just think, again, you know, especially with the fact that you don't have Jonathan Brooks to lean on, a lot of what Sark is going to do is just the the things that get the ball out of Quinn Ewer's hands quickly. And, and, and I don't want to reduce Quinn to, you know, I know it's a dirty word, but game manager, right? Quinn is a guy who can make all the throws. But when you have a Xavier Worthy who operates so well over the middle of the field, someone who the entire reason they wanted an A.D. Mitchell from Georgia is so that you didn't have to force the ball to Xavier Worthy down the field all the time. It could be, hey, go run a comeback. Here's the ball. Go make a man miss and take it 30 yards to the house. Or here's a screen pass or here's a yeah. tunnel screen, right? You know, those things, especially with J.T. Sanders as well. I, I look at him to be a, just a, a pivotal mismatch, someone that they like to run tight end screens and things of that nature. So, sure, Sark absolutely is a creative mind. I'm sure he'll have a couple wrinkles in there if needed if things are really humming right we did see that against Oklahoma State when things are really humming offensively he can get creative but I think the big thing he's going to want to do is just really dedicate a game plan that gets the ball out of Quinn's hands quickly gets it puts the pressure on those Washington defensive backs to cover something that they've struggled to do all year make them cover make them make an open field tackle against a guy like Xavier Worthy or A.D. Mitchell that's what I'm expecting more than anything else Last thing, obviously Sark and, and DeBoer, both first-time playoff participants as head coaches. Sark has obviously been there with Alabama uh, as the OC. Are both of these programs, is Texas in particular, are they are they on are they ready for this moment? Can they are they do they firmly believe they can win two more games as far as win this game and then potentially then beat Michigan or Alabama again? 
or do they does Sark maybe think he's a year ahead of schedule? Where does Sark think this team is as re, as far as ready to win a national title? No, with Texas, it, it's really interesting, Jason, because again, there was the cautious optimism heading into the year, right? Because Texas fans have been burned so many times before about is Texas back. But this roster is loaded. This roster has three All-Americans, multiple All-Big 12 performers. This roster entering this year, especially the best case scenario, outside of, I would say this, if Jonathan Brooks were healthy, then you really feel confident, hey, we're probably among, the. it's us in Michigan in my mind. But even without Jonathan Brooks, you take a look at how Anthony Hill has progressed. You take a look at how some of the young guys, Malik Muhammad and others have come along. And this roster has all of the talent. Let's just take a look at the four teams in the college football playoff. I, I don't see a definitive edge from Washington over Texas. I look at that to be a 50-50 ball game and one that I probably would lean more towards Texas. Texas has beaten Alabama this year, albeit sure, not the same Alabama, not the same Jalen Milrow who has progressed, but they can at least go into a potential matchup with Alabama with confidence that we've beaten them. Mm -hmm. And now we'll get them on a neutral field. If not, you get them in, in Houston, yeah. probably a little more Texas-wise. In Michigan, I'd say that's the main one that you say, okay, maybe they've looked quote-unquote head and shoulders better than everyone else. But even Michigan at times has been tested. So I think there's all the reason in the world to believe that Texas, this year, their roster is living up to, to the potential it came into the year. And then sure, maybe a year ahead of schedule in the sense that they're having such success heading into the SEC. This isn't what some people expected, especially when you look at the history of teams that have left and gone to the SEC, right? Texas A&M, Missouri, and others. So yeah, that sense, no, I think this team expects to win and and, and I give them a very, very fair shot, uh, especially against Washington. And we'll see what happens after that. Eric Henry, enjoy your coverage of uh, the Texas-Washington game. Eric's going to be in New Orleans couple of days after Christmas, all throughout the week leading up to the New Year's night battle in New Orleans in the Superdome. Tell everybody where they can find all your great work online, sir. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. You can find my coverage of the Longhorns at Horns 24-7, 24-7 Sports, and CBSSports.com. Don't get in too much trouble on, uh, on Bourbon Street now. I don't want to see you in the, I don't want to see you in the blogs, okay? Hey, we're not going to have one of those, uh, what was it, uh, Miami and the Gators from back yes. in the day, right? We're not, we're not going to have any of that. I'm going to be low-key. Just enjoy some food. That's all. Enjoy New Orleans. Enjoy the title game, and we will. And good luck to the Horns, and we will uh, talk soon, man. I appreciate the time. Hey, anytime, Jason. My man. My pleasure. You got it. All right, we'll be right back on the Powers on Sports podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at JPOSports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.